Like I said, we're in, the, we're in this series called Give Your Life Away. Now, this is a really fun thing. I want to I show you visually the definition of irony. Okay, you ready? You guys ready for this? This is the best picture of irony that I can come up with. How many of you are, are new to Antioch? I've never done this in three and a half years, but just kind of raise your hand if this is your first time coming to Antioch. Wow, okay. Here's the height of irony. We're talking about money today. <laughs> you guys get that? I mean, that's, there's a, there's an, it's very ironic to me. Nobody thought that was funny. The, uh, the height of irony, uh, you poor souls, um, I love you, and, and I hate that your first Sunday here we're talking about money. Hopefully you'll understand as we kind of go through it um, that that's not something we do always. Uh, is Aaron Wells still in here, or did he leave? Can you tell him, can you get him back in here? And then when he's back in here, I'll talk to him. But here's, uh, here's the reason. There's, there's two reasons we don't like talking about money in church or that people don't like it when churches talk about money. And, and Kit put together this little video to show us the first reason why we hate when people talk about money. So here it is. I'd like to see 10,000 people give $10,000. I don't even know how much money that is. Send your mail to me, Ernest Angley, Akron, Ohio. I want you right now to make a vow of $1,000, T-H-O-U-S-A-N-D. We're going to put this dollar on your pledge card. In the next couple days, you will get the dollar that you see on this table. Now, why am I doing that? They don't want to believe Deuteronomy. 28. Oh, Bob, that's a holy book. Those are holy pages. You shouldn't have done that. There ain't nothing holy about that paper. One thing holy is the $7 it costs to buy it. $1,000 vow of faith, big deal. We got people on welfare that's got enough faith to make a $1,000 vow and paying it. How many of you like silver and gold? Those of you that don't, you're in the wrong church. Think about the times when God's moving. How long's it been since he moved? Pull that money out of that special place. Lay it back on the altar. We have a 900 number through modern technology. You can worship the Lord through your financial gifts today through the phone numbers on the screen. What kind of card do you want? Tell me, saith God. When you got saved, it was free. But after you got saved, that's it. No more free stuff. We're not talking about having uh, one of these little what-you-can-afford telethons because let me tell you right now, if we go by what you can afford, we'll have to shut her down. Watch out for those that tell you God wants you poor. You can't preach the gospel if you're poor. You say, well, Jesus was poor. Let me tell you something. The Lord was not poor. You couldn't be poor and feed 12 apostles and keep them alive. Right this moment, I want to challenge every one of you, and that would include you. It's never worship God and help support this ministry. You receive of our spiritual substance. The Apostle Paul said it's a small thing. We receive of your financial substance. This moment, I want to challenge you today to worship God with $100. We'll send your return envelope in the mail. There'll be an address on the screen in a few moments. A hundred dollars. 
Many of you have made vows and you quit paying them. You started listening to some of the lies of the devil, the parable of the sword. You became offended because of the word persecution, got your eyes on other things, and you forgot that vow of faith. You say, Bob, I can't send $100. If you can just worship God through $5 or $10, every apostle Paul said the first of each week, lay aside as God hath prospered you. That's why I believe God prospers people. Satan gave me this mess. I mean, it's a lie of the devil. I shouldn't have said that. God gave me this message. It gives a new meaning to like Freudian slip, right? Um, so the number one reason I think, or the one, the first reason why we just can't handle talking about money is, is uh, bad pastors. I'm serious. I, I was looking at a book in my library yesterday, in my study, and it says uh, when, when um, bad Christians happen to good people is the title of the book. And I started laughing. I was like, man, we could write a book when bad pastors happen to good people, you know? Um, and there's, there's a lot of people that have manipulated others through spiritual means. It's, we call it spiritual abuse. Uh, and the target of their manipulation is money. It's, it's your money, and the goal is your money to end up in their organization or in their pocket or whatever. This series we're doing, Give Your Life Away, is, is not about money. It's about hearts, it's about your soul, it's about spiritual things. It's about saying the last shall be first and the first shall be last. If we lose our life, we get it back again somehow. And if we try to seek our life, we end up losing it in the process. So it's, it's really about sovereignty. It's about who's in control of your life and, and who does it belong to. And so we talked about time and energy last week, and we're going to talk about comfort next week, and we're going to kind of pursue this series. Well, we can't talk about sovereignty over your life unless we talk about money and resources. It's not just money. It's just it's stuff. And is that stuff, is your life and the things that belong to you, is that, is that a part of God's plan? Is God able to express his will through that? Is he able to talk to you about that? Is that part of it or is your stuff your stuff and and when you come and talk to God you leave your stuff behind and maybe you bring a little bit and say God let's talk and and I've got a little bit that I'll let you kind of have at and then we'll go from there and so the thing is, is it's not about money today it's just talking about how money really affects our spirituality and I can't remember the exact statistic but it's there's more verses in the Bible about money than there is prayer do you know that it's kind of a crazy thing and so when we talk about our spirituality, if we, if we don't talk about stuff, um, we don't really get to it. Does that make sense? So the first reason we don't like talking about money is bad pastors. Um, the second reason we don't like talking about money is insecurity. Um, we're afraid that, I mean, it's, it's so hard to get money. I don't know about you, but like, 
it's, I mean, I sit there for hours at night, sometimes scratching my head, trying to figure out how I can get more of the stuff, you know, and, and you can go round and round and, and not come up with any answers. And it's just not easy to get more money, right? So we, we work so hard to get more money to try and get secure. And then if we feel like somebody is going to put pressure on us to get the money, then all of a sudden it's like red light, green light. Ah, it's just as counterintuitive. It's going backwards. I can't handle that. And the interesting thing here is Maslow, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you guys have ever seen that, it's, it's kind of a way of expressing um, how we approach security, how that, that, that works for us. And down on the bottom here is needs, physical needs, food, clothing, shelter. And we can't really, up here, Maslow had self-actualization, you know, but it's, it's, it's kind of a spiritual thing. And and we don't get to spiritual things, he was basically saying, unless other basic things in our life are met. We, we have food and we have the things we need. And then, okay, that, that's a good foundation. And then we can go on to the next thing. And we kind of get that worked out. Okay, good. We've, we've got that taken care of. And then eventually when, when life is all under control and we feel secure, then we can, we can let go a little bit and reach for more spiritual things. And the second reason we don't like talking about money is because we feel like we're not here. We're somewhere down here, and we feel like not yet. You're going to put pressure on me to to do something with my money now. I'm not ready yet. I I haven't gained security. I haven't gotten to this place where there's enough money and everything else is good in my life. Uh, because you know what? Money solves problems. So if you have problems here, it's kind of nice to have money because you can solve those problems. Um, you know, and so we were like, you know, not yet. Not yet. I, I got to get everything under control. And then when I, when, I, when I feel good, I can get excited about giving. I'm a generous person. Like I, I, I want to give and, and someday I will give. And so we kind of think along this lines and we say, don't talk to me about money yet. And the interesting thing about that is this doesn't actually work. It doesn't actually work. Um, statistically, the, the categories where Christians give the most are, if we kind of want to loosely say it, are at this category, the poorest Christians statistically with an average household income of less than 20000 give the greatest percent in tithes or, or gifts or charitable donations, whatever. And then uh, the rich, the richest category um, then matches that. Everything in between is less than the poorest and the richest. Isn't that interesting? The interesting thing here is we think this is true, that the more we have, eventually the more we'll give, and it's just not true. I think all of us could pick a number out of, um, out of the air and say, look, if I had this much, that's really all I'd need. Um, it could take care of my family. I could put away some for savings, like whatever. So I think if we all thought about it, we would give a number. I mean, you, you move the slider up enough, eventually you're going to give a number, right? I mean, can you guys come up with a number? I think all of us could come up with a number. Here's the interesting thing. Four years ago, three years ago, this economy in Bend was booming like crazy. And almost everyone I ran into was at or above their number. 
I don't remember meeting anybody that was saying, wow, I'm at or above my number. Let me just put myself on a fixed income, really. And then the rest, I can just put at God's feet and say, how do you want me to invest this? Like, who can I bless by this? You know, what can I do with this excess money? Can I start a fund for a college fund for the kids of single moms? Uh, can I help the poor? Can I, can I get involved in missions? Can I whatever? It's, it's just a really interesting thing. I didn't meet too many. There's a lot of generous people, don't get me wrong. But we tend to move that slider when we get close to it and start bumping it up. And so the thing is, is we don't actually give according to this. And so then a lot of people would say, but now we're three years down the road. The economy's so bad. Um, you can't talk to me about money. I don't have anything to give. And it, and it bothers me in some sense. And I, I think it's the best time to talk about money because you don't have anything to give. So we're not talking about actually in the offering today, you writing a check. So, that, so now we're on a good, we're in a good place because now we can talk about just the foundation um, of your stuff. How do we see our stuff? It's not about today giving any money. Nobody's got any. Um, <laughs> solves that. Um, you know, if I had a bad night this week where I actually wanted to try and like be a bad pastor, like um, I'm too smart for that because it wouldn't have worked, you know? Uh, anyways. Um, but we're down here, and I think we can start to say, okay, how do we start over and just get it right and, and be with God in our life with our stuff? How do we make that work? Um, so it's a great, I think it's a great time. By the way, Aaron, uh, so I'm going to do something interesting today. We haven't done anything like this in a long time, but I'm going to leave five minutes at the end and bring my, my friend Aaron Walls up. When I was in Uganda, it's an interesting thing. You go to a church in Uganda, and the guy will preach for two hours. <laughs> and then they have a guy that comes up and summarizes the sermon. But the guy that summarizes the sermon actually sometimes can go longer than the guy that preached the first sermon. <laughs> it's really funny. Um, but it's kind of an interesting thing. So uh, what, what I, I was, right before, when we were doing worship, and Aaron was back there, and Aaron's been a pastor and all this stuff, and now he's a, he's a, a policeman in Redmond and all that, but uh, what I'd like to do is, I'm going to save five minutes at the end and, and bring Aaron up, and he's going to summarize, and, and then close us in prayer, and we're going to just kind of get him wrapping it up, and, and hearing what he heard, which will be kind of fun, so, Aaron, okay, okay, Uh, I want to just frame a little bit, and then I'm going to tell you some of my story, and then we're going to look at a couple of verses. But the interesting thing about money is that it's, it's always preached wrong because we always have a stake in it. And, and so it's, an, it's just a really interesting thing. So I don't know if you've been a Christian long or not, but the debate usually is, do you have to give a tithe? Is that a law? Well, of course it's not a law. I mean, laws in some sense are gone with Christ. I mean, the ceremonial law, the law of the Old Testament that was kind of ritualistic, like Christ abolished that and, and replaced it with grace. 
But that argument usually has two sides where people are saying, well, there's no law, so I don't, I don't have to give any money anymore. And plus, we live in a country where there's taxes, and that really serves the same purpose as giving anyways. And, and so I don't, I'm not responsible to that anymore. And then on the other side, people are like, well, the whole 10% thing came with Abraham. And Abraham was before Moses. Moses brought the law. So the whole 10% thing actually predates the law. So therefore, you should still give 10%. And it's just, it's just kind of this weird, interesting thing. And I think it's the completely wrong approach because it really has to do with external grids and external um, ways of organizing and rules and things like that. And again, what we're really after here, what we're really trying to understand is how is God speaking to us as, as spiritual beings, as people in relationship with him, as as people that he's created and that he blesses or doesn't bless or that he works with. And, and it's not about formulas. It's, it's about something much deeper. And so the interesting thing is um, Jesus has a conversation where he gets to these Pharisees. And these Pharisees are telling everybody, give 10%. And Jesus says, you're wrong in, in one of the things you're doing here. Because you're, you're telling somebody that has uh, elderly parents that they need to tithe 10% even if after that they don't have enough left to take care of their elderly parents. See, the interesting thing about honor your father and your mother is honor your father and your mother was spoken to adults. We, we kind of take it and use it as like, you know, the eight-year-old, like, you know, shut up, obey me. Um, Bible says honor your father, your mother. The, the Ten Commandments were spoken to adults and there wasn't Medicare and there wasn't retirement homes and, and there, weren't, there weren't these kinds of things. And, and the way life kind of goes is, is you get to a stage where you become dependent again through illness or infirmity or becoming blind and they don't have glasses or cataract surgery or anything. So through the age cycles, you become dependent again. Well, this person who raised you and gave you everything and sacrificed everything, when they become needy, what are you supposed to do? And in the Ten Commandments, I mean, it is in the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments, is, is to honor them, which means you treat them the way you'd want to be treated if the roles were, were reversed, right? And so the interesting thing is, that's what God said. Now, the Pharisees, what they said bad pastors, uh, was, no, 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 give your 10% first to us. That's, that's the law that's more important. And Jesus got really angry and he says, look, you guys are not getting the whole heart of this thing right. What's more important than a rule so that you can feel good about yourself, like I, I've got a good attendance record at school or at church or, you know, I've got the merit badge. What's more important than all that stuff is that you honor your father and your mother. And so Jesus says, man, you guys got it all wrong. So he says, don't give, which is really interesting, right? Don't give. That's all somebody out there is going to hear today. <laughs> Sweet. Um, and then you remember he's with his disciples and he's, he's, in, the, uh, he's in the temple courts. And a woman, an elderly woman, a, a woman that doesn't seem like she has a lot of means or a lot of capacity, 
walks up and Jesus knows what's going on and she walks up and and there's where you give your offerings and she basically throws her 10 cents in and Jesus says that is what I'm after because it was a hundred percent of what she had it was all that she had and, and Jesus says, now that's what I'm talking about. And, and you're like, wait a second, Jesus. You just told me not to give. Now you're telling me to give all of it. Like, which is it? You're, you're confusing me. This is really hard for me to budget. Um, this is really frustrating for me to, to figure out. And, and what's going on with the woman that gave all that Jesus was talking about? What was going on was, was faith. She wasn't like... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die tomorrow. Let me walk and give all um, because I don't need it anymore. She was coming and saying, God, I trust that at the minimum, you're going to take care of these needs because, you know, it says that I'm not supposed to worry about anything and the flowers of the field, God takes care of them. And, and I have the faith to believe that even if it's not much, you're going to take care of me that the minimum here will happen. And, and so I am entrusting myself to you and you have all of me. You have it all. You are really big and the circumstances and problems and my worries are really small. And so you can have it all, God, I trust you. It's interesting, this whole don't worry thing, we don't talk about it enough. Like I, I was dealing with it this week. And don't worry includes don't worry about your sermon. Is that really interesting? Like you'd think God would want me to worry about a sermon because it's a big deal. Um, there's visitors here and we're talking about money, you know. Um, God said, don't worry. He said, be faithful. He said, trust. He said, believe. He said, work hard. But he never said, I, what I really want you to do is worry. As if I won't work through you or deliver or, or do what I said I would do. Um, it, it's an interesting thing, this, this don't worry thing. And so it, it shows up in so many different places, but God says, trust him. You know, just kind of be all in. Here's the interesting thing. We teach a, a Dave Ramsey course at the church here. Every so often we teach the Dave, Dave Ramsey class. Dave Ramsey's a really cool thing. The guy just is hard-nosed cut up your credit cards, here's how you get out of debt, here's how you, you, you become responsible with your money. Now, the irony is, <laughs> um, that goes against Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey can't handle that because it's irresponsible from a worldly perspective, a wisdom perspective. Here's the different categories. There's, there's wisdom And there's faith. And wisdom is logical. And in the book of Proverbs, it talks about wisdom. And it's saying, look, there's smart and there's dumb. Figure out how to be smart. God created this world. He, he organized it. He, he created things that, that work and are trusted. And, you know, law of cause and effect. If you touch a you know, boiling water, you're going to get burned. And, and there's wisdom. And if you store up for yourself, if you do like the ant and you, you know, the book of Proverbs talks about the ant and you squirrel stuff away and save up for later, it's wise. And that's where Dave Ramsey's at. 
But there's a, an ability to where we can, we can really entrust ourselves to God, completely to God, and listen and say, God, what do you want me to do with my stuff? And there are times... And I would never say this to anybody. There are times when God might say to you, I want you to give up all your stuff. Now, someone's going to be like, oh, here it goes. Bad pastor, spiritual manipulation. No, seriously. Um, Turn to Matthew with me. Matthew 19. Pretty sure it's Matthew 19. Yeah, the the rich young ruler. In Matthew 19, Jesus is talking to this guy, and it's really interesting. And the guy comes up and he says, um, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says this, um, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. He gives him the Ten Commandments, and the guy says, yeah, okay, sweet, I've kept all those. I haven't killed anybody. <laughs> like, you know, um, sweet, I've got all the check boxes checked, and it's a pretty good deal and I've kept all these. Do I lack anything else? Anything else I got to do? I mean, I'm about ready to leave here, but before we close this transaction, Jesus, you know, anything else you want to tell me? And Jesus says, yeah, yeah, one more thing. Verse 21. If you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. So if you want to be perfect... Sell... Give, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. So when I say there's some times when God would say to you, contra Dave Ramsey, contra wisdom, to give all you have, sell it all. I'm I'm not making that up. It's not a spiritual manipulation thing. It's what Jesus says to this guy. And the guy walks away sad. Why? Because he had a lot of stuff. And it really conflicted him. He said, how come I can't compartmentalize and have my stuff over here and my life over here and my golf over here and, and have my relationship with you, God, over here? How come I can't have both? And Jesus says to this guy, you want to um, inherit the kingdom? You want to have eternal life? Go and sell this stuff Come show up ready for duty and let God use you and serve, do good works, be a part of the kingdom, invest in his work. You will store up for yourself treasure in heaven. Um, Fascinating thing. So Dave Ramsey's great. Dave Ramsey also could get in the way of what God wants you to do. So, So where are we at? Don't give money. Give it all. Um, Be responsible. Because that's wise. Well, maybe don't be responsible and give it all away. You know, I mean, where, like, it's kind of confusing, isn't it? Um, I, I learned uh, some lessons, some valuable lessons when I became a Christian. I, I, first three summers that I had, I worked as a, a summer camp counselor at Big Bear, uh, up above L.A., in the mountains um, up above L.A., um, this town called Big Bear, a lot like Bend. And I was at a Christian camp. And, and I, the stuff that mattered to me wasn't money. I didn't have much money at the time. But it was uh, stuff that had to do with my identity. 
And so I'd gotten really into mountain climbing and rock climbing and because we were in the mountains above Big Bear. And what we would do every night is we'd throw these little camp mattresses in the back of pickup trucks and we'd drive up on fire access roads up into the hills and we'd just throw them out on the road and then sleep underneath the stars every single night. We, I mean, I really felt like a stud. Um, I mean, it was real, it was authentic. It wasn't just like one night and like, yeah, I lived in the outdoors. Like it was like every single night we would do that. Um, and I, I really, I felt, oh, this is really cool. You know, I feel good about who I am and I'm, I'm rough and I'm tough and, and we sleep out under the stars and, um, and back at Clemson, nobody does this kind of thing. So all the girls are going to like me when I go back to Clemson. <laughs> I had a, I had a hot shot. Did anyone ever have the, the North Face hot shot backpack? The hot shot. Remember the hot shot? It was this cool little day pack and it had, you know, um, a little compartment on the back that had a little seam down the middle. And it, I mean, it was just really cool. And it had cool straps back when, like, that was first becoming cool. Like, you know, a little cool little chest strap. And, I mean, it had all the little cool straps. And, and I had a hot shot backpack and it was black. Um, and it was worn in. It wasn't a fake. It was real, okay? So I'm at camp and my camp boss was the, the first real mentor I ever had and um, guy was a stud. Uh, he was he was 20 years older, 30 years older than me, and and I was just mature. I was just wise and was mature. And so, anyways, I had my backpack. We had a camp in, and some goofy little kid stole the one half of the chest strap. Now you know the chest strap's the coolest part because it's what people see, and you never strap it. You just kind of let it hang. You know what I'm talking about? And he stole one half of that strap. It ruined the backpack. I mean, it just, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I like, I mean, I, I was so like frustrated that I was like kind of talking about it, but I was trying to like, I was muttering under my breath because I didn't want anyone to know that I was frustrated about the strap because it, the backpack shouldn't be about the strap, but it really was, but I didn't want anyone to know that. So, I mean, I was just like, frustrated and mad at this kid and who would do that. And my camp boss saw this. Guess what kind of backpack my camp boss had? He had a black hot shot, North Face hot shot backpack. And he'd had his longer than me. I think that's partly why I got mine. So he realized by the end of the day, I'd been kind of stewing on it all day and he could tell. He kind of just shook his head, um, took off the strap on his backpack. He lived there year round up at camp. I was just there for the summer. I was, I was a poser. He was the real thing. Okay. He took off and ruined his backpack, took off half the strap, and, and handed it to me. He says, here, I want you to have this. And I felt so stupid. I was like, oh, no. Like, oh, I can't do that. And he's like, listen, I don't care. And it obviously matters to you. So here, have mine. It, it'll make me happy for you to have that. And I was so shamed. I took it, put it on there, you know. But... It, <laughs> I, uh, I was so shamed in, in some sense, and it taught me for the next two years. I mean, I always remembered what he did, and I realized he, he, stuff didn't matter to him. He wasn't in it for stuff. And so I, 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 that changed me. I went, um, after that first summer, I went um, with a family member of mine. He's in the audience, so I can't embarrass my dad, but I went with a family member... <laughs> of mine and, and we were driving on the Jersey Turnpike and it was in a snowstorm and he was it was my car 
and he was driving and we, we uh, changed lanes and the, the snow that had built up made the front tires go slower than the back tires and going 60 miles an hour on the Jersey Turnpike, we started spinning around, you know, banged up the car, banged up our skis, um, crazy, crazy accident. And it was so fun. You know why? Because I knew what the right answer was. Hey, dad, it's not my car. It's God's car. Besides, you're the one that gave it to me anyways. Um, I don't care. I don't care, about the, I don't care about the stupid car. It's not about stuff. And I remember just being like, wow, that felt good. Um, this summer, we had an intern gal borrow my car for five minutes and put a, a big hole in the back bumper. Now, if you're a guy, you know there's two kinds of accidents. There's kinds that add scrapes to your car that actually make it look cooler, okay? Like the strap thing. And then there's accidents that you look at and you're like, this is really not cool. Like, people that see this are going are gonna to think of me in a certain way that's just really not cool. Um, she put a hole in the back of my Jeep Grand Cherokee bumper, and it was a really not cool hole. It's the kind of hole that makes everyone know that you, like, hit a light pole backing up or something, you know? Um, it's like an idiot mark. Well, it's the kind you get fixed. Well, but this girl, um, her dad isn't alive anymore. She has a single mom. Um, her brother been in and out, in and out of jail. Um, and she's a college student and, and basically doesn't have any money. So what do you think I remembered? Um, everyone in my life was like, oh, you've got to get that fixed. And she needs to learn responsibility. And she's got to, no, <laughs> I can drive around with a bad bumper like it's not about stuff. Um, and how much more important is this girl that gave up her summer to come be an intern at Antioch and her poor mom that's a single mom having to raise two kids and, and the man kid actually isn't helping her out? Because it would be, and I think it should be, the role of that son to help out when the father's not there in, in, in a certain way. And so it was really interesting for me. Um, it took me a week. <laughs> it's like, this, this is really not a cool hole in the bumper. Um, but it was, it was an easy one. It's not about stuff. Okay. I want to read you a verse out of Corinthians. We'll put it on the board here. It says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. It's not okay for bad pastors to apply guilt or to apply pressure for people to give their money, okay? That's not the situation that God's wanting, okay? He's wanting to say, do you trust me? And, and please do trust me because I'm good for it. And it says, don't give under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves the woman that goes and gives all. I mean, I could draw all sorts of parallels between my kids. I mean, my wife was telling me this week, she's like, Ken, you know, it's an interesting thing about kids. You can tell a stingy kid from a generous kid a mile away. You know what I'm talking about? You see a bunch of kids playing. There's the one that's trying to give to every other kid, help every other kid. And then there's the one that's like always got a shoulder turned. Like, it's not, not only am I going to not let you have it, but I'm like blocking it, you know, because body language, don't even come near my stuff, it's mine. Um, it's, you can't mask it, and, and the interesting thing is, I don't think much changes as we get older, we just, 
we just learn to make our body language a little more subtle. Don't we? And we still kind of want to protect our stuff and say mine and stuff like that, but we just know that if we use the word mine, people are going to think we're childish, so we, we say different things. Or we find ways to pretend that we're generous, but we know that it's really just inoculating somebody so that we can protect our real kitty, you know, the thing that we don't want to touch. And so it's an interesting thing. So God loves, God's saying, look, uh, here's the funny thing. Uh, you're all kids to me. I can see right through it all. I can tell the stingy kid from the generous kid. And guess what? When you go up, like when my daughters go up to their kid sisters that aren't as mature and, and help them, I just, I sit back and I just exult in that. It's like a, I mean, it's just, a, it's a great feeling. And God is saying, when you are that kid, I love it. I love it. You want to, you want, God loves you, okay? You want to feel God's love? Okay, be a cheerful giver. You'll sense that satisfaction. Um, here's where it, where it goes, though. It says this, and God is able to make all grace, all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. problem with grace is we think it only has to do with making up for bad things right like I made a mistake can you give me grace um boy I'm you know I'm I I sinned or I screwed up can can you cover over it the funny thing about grace is grace has a whole positive aspect to it too I mean it's it's fuel it's, it's felt love. It's, it's such a broad word, and we treat it in, in this narrow little way as kind of a, an eraser. Like, sweet, I love grace. You know? Um, it's an interesting thing. And so here's the deal. God's able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. Here's the thing about money. Um... It's a means. It's a tool. It's an asset. Is that one S or two? So the purpose of money is to provide. It's to, it's to get the basic needs. It's to invest in some sense, in a very broad sense. And so if all we're doing with money is trying to get more, then we're treating money as an end in itself. We become lovers of money. Let me turn money around on money and get more rather than saying money is satisfying my basic need and now I have capability or or capacity and I have leftover, I have potential. Instead we say, um, let's use money to get more money. Someday, God, I'll give. Someday, God, I'll invest. Someday, God, I'll be a part of what you're doing, but I don't have enough money yet. And God's saying, I don't really care how much money you have. I want you. I want... I want you to be with me. And together, we're going to go do work 
We're going to go um, build my kingdom. You're going to be with me. Here's the interesting thing. I, when circumstances are bad, and they can be bad for years and years and years, you could be going through bankruptcy, you could be losing your house, you could be losing your job, uh, and circumstances could be so horrible. Okay? But God never promises that you're going to have the perfect job or you're going to have a job. He never promises that you're going to have this house. He never promises those things. He promises that no matter how bad it gets, he'll still be there with you. See, the, the essence of this whole thing is that no matter how bad it gets, God will never fail us. He'll always be there. He's a good shepherd. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, no matter how bad it is for you, though you're walking through that valley right now, what does it say? I'll be with you. So the interesting thing about this is, regardless of how bad this is, we can still be here. And if we're here, here's the funny thing, the self-actualization that Maslow was talking about comes from God, and and it comes in the form of the fruit of the Spirit. it's, It's a grounded individual. It's the person that has that relationship. It's the person that can touch and know that there's somebody taking care of him or her, that there's a shepherd that's good, that's trusty, that's reliable, that's all these things. All of a sudden, there's peace. Look, you can take anything you want from me. I don't care. Um, I trust God. He'll provide. Um, I've got peace that you can't touch. Um, I've got joy that you don't know the source of because it's not coming from my security or my possessions. I've got love for other people because I know what this love feels like here and on and on and on. And so the funny thing about this is even the poor are in the best position to understand, give all your stuff to God. See, we think it's the other way around. When I have a lot of stuff, talk to me and I'll, I'll cordon off some of it and I'll be able to give stuff to God. And God says, you're completely misunderstanding it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are these people. Why? Because, man, they're so beat up. It's a real easy trade for them to say, okay, I'll give my problems to you, God. It's a lot harder for the person that has a lot of stuff to go all the way back to square one and give that stuff, go all in with God. So it's hard in Matthew 19, Jesus continues, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Man, it's crazy stuff. Um, Haggai is a really interesting book. I'll just read a little bit of it. It's like uh, the second shortest book in the Bible. It's in the Minor Prophets. You've got the Israelites that have come back from Babylon. They've been carted off to captivity. They're in Babylon. Now they've come back. A bunch of them have come back. They started to work on the temple, rebuilding the temple, and then they stalled out because there was too many problems, too many circumstantial things, and it was too hard and it was too difficult. So they stalled out. And God sends this prophet, and it's this crazy short book, and, and here... Um, verse 4 kind of sums it up. Verse 3, it says this, Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, and listen to what it says. It says, Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? And what he's really saying is, um, God's house is a ruin. God's program is a ruin. God's Things aren't yet together. And you started with, I need a house. I got to frame out the foundation. That means I got to clear the rocks away. Then I got to put the rocks. 
on that foundation, now I'm going to build. Okay, now I'm a couple years in because it took 16 years before Haggai comes along and says, look, what's, what's going on, guys? And, and everybody's kind of gone and now they've, they've done their foundation a couple years in. The, the sides are there and the door and well, you got to have a roof because, you know, the elements and so the roof's there. We're a couple, couple years further in. Well, all of a sudden your wife is like, hey, I'd like some uh, tiles um, and I'd, I'd like, uh, some decorations and it's, it's not the wife's fault. Um, but all, what is paneled? What does that symbolize? It symbolizes luxury. It symbolizes beyond basic needs. It symbolizes comfort. And so these Israelites have continued to like focus on their own stuff and building it out and getting it just so. And, and then the prophet comes and says, This was more important. There was a need over here. There was something significant over here. There was God's stuff over here. And you've so gotten tunnel visioned on your own thing that you're just going further and further. And if I don't preach to you, pretty soon you're going to have like an irrigation system and and hanging flower pots. And you're going to just keep going because there's always the next thing that you can do and build and make secure. And he says, you got it all wrong. And so he's saying, look, you go all in with God. Stop thinking about that. Do what God wants you to do. Invest in this. Be with him. And the rest of the Haggai says, look, um, you'll reap what you'll sow. Life isn't going good for you now because I'm actually like frustrated with you. I'm not helping you at all. It's like I've got my arms crossed and I'm digging my heels in and you're working really hard, but it's not going that well for you because I'm being, I'm being frustrated with you. I'm not aiding you or assisting you at all. He says, look, you get with me and do what I've got for you. And it's going to come back tenfold. He's not promising like in that video, a certain kind of car or a yacht or a whatever. He's just saying, look, I'll work with you. All of a sudden you're going to have wind in your sails instead of going into the wind by, by starting here and being with me. And so what God really wants is he wants us to not care about paneled houses and whatever and whatever. He's wanting us just to say, um, I'm willing to give my life away, God. It's all yours. You tell me whether you want me to follow Dave Ramsey, and I will, which is going to require a lot of sacrifice on my part, and I'll do it. I'll curb my spending to be responsible. But if you want me to do more, I'll do that too. And God... Um, is there something other than giving money that you want me to do? Like take care of my parents and honor them. I'll do that. Here's a verse out of Matthew again. Jesus is like talking to the bad pastors. And this is what he says. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So Jesus isn't saying, look, don't give money. You know, he's, he's not even dealing with that again. He's like, look, you should do that too. But, but beyond that, you should be all in on where God is working and what God wants to do. Where's the kingdom at work? It's, it's where the poor people are. It's where the needy people are. It's where the vulnerable are. It's where the poor in spirit are. And, God is, and Jesus is saying, look, yeah, give your money, but... I also want you all the way in with me. Give your life away. 
it's a, it's a tough thing, and it's really not about money. Here, let me break it down for you before Aaron comes and, and makes this all make sense. Um, there, there are some of you in this church that shouldn't give to Antioch. It's not what God would have for you. Uh, there are some of you in this church that should give 50% to Antioch because you're just doing 10% because it's a good number and it's a safe number and you feel good about it. But you're like one of the few people in this church that could actually carry what God is trying to do through this church or at Kilns College or whatever. If the elders, if the leaders didn't believe that God was doing something here, um, we wouldn't be here. We'd be off doing something else. But God is actually doing something here. The people leading worship, the coolest story yet is the discipleship going on and God's whole program working itself out, the beauty of the local church happening. Some of you go, I don't even know what the heck's going on at Antioch, but you, you're supposed to give because you believe in the local church. I believe in the local church. I believe God knew what he was doing when he set this thing up. I'm willing to give. And there's some of you here that should take 100% of your money and um, get out of here. Move somewhere else. Go be where God wants you to be, where he wants to work with and through you. And so that's the crazy thing is, you know, what should you do with your second house? I don't have the answer to that question. Do you use it for the glory of God? Uh, Is it a restful retreat or a prayer retreat? Do you... Could you sell it and buy three different homes for, for single moms? Um, or, I mean, I don't, know what you, I don't know what you're supposed to do with that. What are you supposed to do with your car? Don't let interns borrow it. <laughs> um, but I hope you understand something I'm trying to say here. Is there, there's only three things circled on this board. And it's you having your faith in God and understanding that money is a means and a tool and an asset to be invested into others and into what God is doing. And that's really what it comes down to. So the question this morning is really, when you sit there before God, is all your stuff on the table? Are you, are you really willing to ask God, Anything, anything of mine is yours. What would you have me do with it? Are we really willing to trust God that he'll meet all our needs? Are we really willing to realize that in some sense when we're the poorest, we're in the best position because it gets easier to trust God, not for circumstances, uh, but his, his presence being with us and taking care of us. I really feel like I could quit in three weeks walk away from Antioch. Um, because at, at, the, at the bottom, this sermon series we're doing is really the only thing that we all need to grab hold of. Aaron, why don't you start coming up? Um, I think there's a mic over there. We just have to be willing to live by faith, to walk in the Spirit, um, to let God have sovereignty over our stuff. Now, I feel like that was really messy, so why don't you just try and pull that together? Um, 
Haggai was a prophet who spoke very shortly and succinctly. So do that for us, and we'll know that it's the word of the Lord, and then close in prayer, and, and they'll... Uh... <laughs> How about that for a little weight on your shoulders, huh? Just make sure it's the word of the Lord, and it's short. Okay, fine. It's easy to do. You know, I don't see how that would be difficult. Um, it's funny. I didn't even know he was going to do that today, which makes it even more fun to be here now. Um, and then I think Ken did a really good job of summarizing. I think the only thing I would add is, as I looked at this message is, one, I think we all struggle with money. You know, I mean, I have three kids and mortgage, and my wife doesn't work, so that's a blessing for us. We can still make it. Um, but I think we all struggle with it. And it's always, is it mine or is it God's? And I think that's really the, maybe the core of this message is whose money is it really? And, and do you look at your money with that mindset? And that's where you get things like faith, and, money, and the bigger, you know, means to it is a, it's a tool. You know, I know I don't look at my money that way. It's like, well, my kids need shoes or this, not, this stuff and whatnot. And so I think as we look at that and we think about this message, um, really that's the question you have to ask yourself today. Well, how do I see my money or the money that God has given me? Is it really God's money? And basically I get to use a portion of it for my stuff. And then the rest goes wherever it needs to go. And I'm not going to worry about that. If there's a need that needs to be met, I'm just going to meet it if I can. Um, it's interesting that in Matthew, he says to the rich young ruler when he says, go and give away all your possessions and you'll be perfect. Who's the only perfect person ever? Jesus, right? I mean, when you think about that, he promised him an equal level with himself. And I'm like, wow, I mean, really, Jesus? I mean, he must have known he was going to fail. Obviously, he wasn't like, you're going to be me, dude. <laughs> I'll just leave. And then you can hop on board. This would be perfect. You know, he wasn't trying to, like, get rid of his job or anything. But I think, like, as I, I heard that, I was like, wow, that's a pretty huge promise. That this guy was holding on to this one part of his life so seriously. That by simply giving it away, he would have been free to really experience God and live the life he should have been living. And as the whole point of what we're here listening to this sermon series is give your life away, if money or your possessions or that thing, if you can really just sit down and be honest with yourself, I know for me it's an issue all the time, but if you can be honest with yourself and say, you know what, God, this area of my life is going to be, could be potentially a difference between me living, living a vibrant life with you or me just living. That's the question I think you have to ask yourself. And it's not necessarily like, am I going to give to Antioch? I mean, that would be great. You know, tithing, that's important and everything. But really just in general, the idea that is your money yours or is it God's? And I think that's, hopefully, Ken will probably be like, that wasn't what I was saying. But, <laughs> hey, he told me to come up here, so <laughs> we'll roll with it, you know. Um, but I think that's the thing that you have to answer for yourself today is, is who's, who really is in charge of your money? Is it Dave Ramsey and his little plan? You know, is it your kids? Is it your job? Is it your business, your cards, your cars, excuse me? Um, and I know that that's a tough decision that you have to make. But I think that the idea is that it's God's anyways, and he doesn't give it to you because it does come from him. Don't forget that. It's not like you're just some great person who happens to happen upon millions of dollars or thousands or hundreds or tens, whatever. Um, but God is giving you that money to use for his glory. And that's the realization that I have to live with, and that's like the failure that I feel sometimes is that I don't always meet that expectation. Um, but we should. And I think that's important. 
And that's every person here, every person who has a relationship with Jesus should think about that. And so consider that today. So let's close in a word of prayer, and then I hope that was five minutes and the worship team comes up. Otherwise, I'll look really silly. So let's bow our heads. Father, we just thank you for today. Um, thank you, Jesus, that, uh, Lord, you're our God, and that you desire to give us all good things. And whether that means financial wealth or financial poverty, Lord, it's, it's always good things you desire to give us. And with those good things, we're supposed to be a conduit to bless others with those things. Jesus, I ask in your name, and I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just touch every person here today and really cause them to, to focus and to think about what they're doing with their finances and if they're using that money as they should. God, if it's time to give it away, just give us that word. If it's time for us to move on or whatever it's time for us to do, Jesus, we trust you to tell us. And again, Lord, I just ask by your Holy Spirit that the people here would really consider that. They wouldn't just walk out and grab their coffee and scone and forget that they even were here this Sunday morning. Help us to give our lives away, Jesus, in your name. Amen.